I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a new episode of Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast. I'm your host, Corey Cohen. And today, a little bit later, we're going to be uh, talking about pit basketball, volleyball, uh, men's soccer. But, of course, for the first part of the pod, we have to talk about pit football because they played an absolutely atrocious game on Saturday. Truly atrocious. They were shut out. And the offense looked pathetic, frankly. The little bit of good news, the defense looked pretty good. The defense, yeah, they gave up 28 points, but the defense still looked good, and that's with Twyman got hurt at one point, Paris Ford got a targeting call and was ejected. Even with all that, the defense looked pretty good. I don't think there's too much concern there. But the offense looked like new levels of bad, and it's concerning because it doesn't matter how good your defense is if the offense cannot score a single point. Now, they were in the red zone. They could have had a field goal, but still. The, if the offense puts up goose egg, it's it's impossible. The defense, they're actually going to play worse because what is there to play for? If you're down 14 nothing and the offense has looked atrocious, what? how do you get the motivation to stop that third touchdown? Because ultimately it's not going to matter if the offense can't do anything with it. So if the offense can't even make it a competitive game, the defense isn't going to be all there. And the offense could not make this a competitive game. It was that there's plenty of fault to go around, and that's that's what we're gonna do to to start off this podcast. Just throw fault around because I I sincerely believe that it's not on one person. I know there's it's easy to say, well, this is on Pat Narduzzi or this is on Mark Whipple or this is on Kenny Pickett. It's not just on one person. It's a collective. And the collective has shown us throughout the season that for most of these games, the offense has been bad. Maybe not quite last year levels of bad, but still bad. And there's there's not just one culprit. So we have to sort of break it down. We'll start with the quarterback, where everything starts. Kenny Pickett. He was 10 for 26. 103 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, but no touchdowns. And I, something about Kenny Pickett, it really it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Because some games he comes out and he looks good. He looks really good. Against North Carolina, he had a very good game. And when I counted especially, when it was third and long, third and 15 or third and 14, and they needed a first down, he got it. When they were right up towards the goal line, and they needed a touchdown in overtime. He got it. He ran it in himself. When it was against UCF, he had a great game. He caught a touchdown pass to win the game in the pit special. When it was Duke, he led the team down the field at the end after the defense blew the lead. He's had some really good games. And then he has games on the other side of the coin. I, this is Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. This was a game where he looked flat out bad. And he's had those games. This is not an anomaly. Unfortunately, if you're a Pitt fan, 
Kenny Pickett has had plenty of games where he just has flat out not looked good. He has not looked like an ACC starting quarterback. But then he's got other games where he looks legitimately good. And so it's confusing. But in this game, he did not look remotely good. Uh, now, again, it was not all his fault. but And there were plenty of drop passes, and that's certainly the problem. But he just could not get anything going. And uh, th- there was a late pass that was a deep pass that was called back because of holding. It, it was he was not atrocious. I'm not saying this is on Kenny Pickett. I'm not. It's just when things weren't going well, you look to a quarterback to maybe make some plays to make something happen, and he didn't do it. Now, again, it's not just on him. There are a lot of factors, and maybe even an amazing quarterback couldn't get things to happen. But you can't tell me he was good. Because he was not. Now, I'm not writing him off because he could come back next week and look great. I'm not sure. But he just did not look good in this game. And you have to wonder, is this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing, is this a pattern? Is this going to continue? Is there a way to get him a little bit more stable where he's he's good or at least decent every week? Because now you don't really know what you're getting from him. And that's a problem. It was certainly a problem in this game. And when they needed him, again, it was a tough task, but when they really needed him to step up because other things weren't working, he just wasn't able to do it. And so that's certainly an issue. And I'm not saying maybe Trevor Lawrence is the only quarterback in the ACC who could do it. I don't know. I just know that Kenny Pickett could not do it. And at times we've seen him be able to spark an offense by himself. Not in this game. He just he could not do it in this game. So he is not the problem, not even the major part of the problem. He's part of the problem. The running game, the running backs, there is still nothing resembling a running game. Now, I get it. Todd Sibley, again, without the team is without Todd Sibley after he got hurt a few weeks ago. But there has not been any semblance of a rushing game all year long. The thing that Pitt hung its hat on last year, that Pitt has hung its hat on, not just in the recent era, but of all time. I mean, going back to, to Marshall Goldberg and, and then Tony Dorsett and then moving forward with, uh, with Curtis Martin and then LaShawn McCoy. And, uh, and then, of course, recently with, with there was Ray Graham and James Conner and, and last year, Olison and Hall. And this year, we all thought, yeah, there, there are four guys between Sibley, the two Davises, and Carter that at least one or two are going to break through and be a really legitimate starting running back. And nobody has broken through. Nobody seems like a legit starter. Valique Carter can be used for some trick plays, some special plays. That's fine, but he's not there. Todd Sibley's injured. And then the two Davises. Vincent Davis, he's got talent, but we haven't seen it for the most part. He had three carries for 15 yards in that game against Virginia Tech. And then A.J. Davis, he's sort of been the lead back as of late. He had eight carries for 24 yards. They just have not been able to get anything going. And the entire offense is hamstrung when you put the team out there, you try to establish the run, and they can't do it. So when they can't do it, then you know Kenny Pickett's going to be passing every play. You're going to be able to pressure him. You're going to be able to focus on the receivers because the running game just is not there. Everything has to start with the running game. This It could be a pass-first offense, but it has to start with the running game to at least establish that threat. And Pitt has not been able to establish that threat the entire season. And 
that it's it is becoming abundantly clear that the running game just does not exist and that this offense can't function without an at least competent running game and as of now they don't have it so that's a problem then you've got the offensive line who going back to the quarterback and the running backs they haven't been able to do their job Kenny Pickett still does not have much time in the pocket when he when he Hangs back to throw. He does not have much time, and a lot of times he has to just break away and, and make a play by himself. Again, run blocking. They just cannot seem to develop holes. You can have a really good running back, but if the offensive line doesn't open up those holes, what are you going to do? And we haven't seen the offensive line do much of anything when it comes to pass blocking or run blocking. So that's a major issue. Receivers. The drops have been a plague. This keeps happening. It hasn't gotten better. They've changed out a couple people where they've been able to. They haven't been playing Nakia Griffin-Stewart much, and uh, they moved Wayne in at tight end, and they are uh, limited because Maurice French, again, with the, the jaw injury, was still not able to go in this game. So they are hamstrung at points, but you st- you cannot have these drops. There were, I think, at least five, maybe more, and it's it's ex- it's excruciating to watch when a guy's got a ball that it's so easily catchable and they just, they can't hold on to it. And that's been the case time and time again. And a lot of times you know, that shows up on the stat sheet as an incomplete pass that goes against Kenny Pickett. But a lot of times it is on the receivers and the receivers have probably been getting most of the blame for these drops, but that's certainly not it. I don't think you can say, Oh, well, if the receivers catch those balls then everything's fine. Cause it's not. If you go back, and I don't have them in front of me, but if you go back to every single play where a receiver dropped a ball that could have been a catch, should have been a catch, that still there wasn't anything in the end zone. There wasn't anything that a 40-yard bomb that's going to mass, uh, massively change the dynamic of the game. Pitt still did not have a good offense. Even if they caught all those catchable balls, Pitt still didn't have anything going. And so uh, you, there's no way you can tell me, oh, it's just the wide receivers. If they don't drop, then things are fine. Because they're not. Because the offense was not there. The running game wasn't there. Even if they caught those balls, the passing game was not much of a threat. Certainly not a deep threat. It just wasn't there. And so the receivers, it's a major problem. Tight end, still nothing really there. You're without uh, Maurice French. Taysier Mack looked good. Shockey Jacques-Louis looks like defenses have figured him out a little bit. But... Ultimately, the the receivers dropping balls, big problem. It's not the only problem. And there is one more problem, and that's the offensive coordinator. That's Mark Whipple. Now, I insist that he's better than Sean Watson from last year because that was maybe the worst offense I've ever seen, the most one-dimensional offense I have ever seen. But this is not much better. Now, it's one-dimensional in the other way. They're passing most of the time instead of running, whereas last year was the inverse. But it's still is an offense that ju- there's just not much creativity there, especially when things aren't working. I get it. You can't establish the run game. You've got to pass. But you want to see something in there, some sort of trick play, is a couple shots down the field just to see what happens. Maybe you get a pass interference call. Who knows? But it was just very conservative, and it's something that we've seen from this offense in the red zone. When they get close to a touchdown, they tend to go more conservative. They don't want to turn the ball over. They don't want to take big risks. And if they just get a field goal out of it, that's fine. But this game, it was it was basically the entire field. They were playing fairly conservatively. When they were down by three touchdowns late, when they were down by four, 
they they never really were able to turn it around and just sort of heave the ball downfield and, and see what happens or go for a big play. It just didn't really happen. And especially once you got out of halftime, once it was the second half, you're already down by three touchdowns. It's 21 nothing. You know you're going to have to score a bunch because at best you're you need three touchdowns if the defense doesn't allow any points which it was close, but <laughs> at best you're going to need three touchdowns, probably more than that. You've got to start getting really aggressive and just taking shots and going to the, the bottom well of your playbook and just throwing stuff up against the wall to see if it sticks, and they haven't done that. And so that's a problem. I've seen some stuff from Mark Whipple this year. It has not been all bad, but it just hasn't been able to, to come together. And the unfortunate thing is, by holding on to Sean Watson a year too long, there's no way they're getting rid of Mark Whipple this offseason. It's just not going to happen. You've got a quarterback going into his senior year. You don't want to have more turnover. You don't want to have a third offensive coordinator in three years. They're going to hold on to Mark Whipple for at least one year. The problem for Pat Narduzzi is, next year is the make-or-break year. Next year, and a lot depends on what happens to finish out this year, and we'll get to that in just, just a second. But next year is the make-or-break year, and that's a lot to hang on Mark Whipple. You just have to trust him that he's going to figure it out and that he's going to be better next year when the offense is more comfortable, when Kenny Pickett's maybe a little bit better, when the run game is more established. Who knows? But that's still a lot of trust to put in the offensive coordinator in a make-or-break year because if, if they aren't able to get at least eight, but really even nine wins next year, then there are going to be some serious questions about Pat Narduzzi's tenure at Pitt. And so you just have to hope that Mark Whipple is the guy and that a game like this was the anomaly. And even a season like this, he's got a lot of room to get better and to grow because he hasn't looked awful, but he also hasn't impressed me thus far. And so when you just stack up all those things together, Kenny Pickett, and again, not just Kenny Pickett, because they brought in Nick Patty, the backup quarterback, late in the game. We saw him earlier in the season. He is what he is. He's not a starter. You're not going to pull Kenny, Pick Kenny Pickett for him. You're just not going to do it. So the quarterback, the running game, the offensive line, the receivers, the offensive coordinator, just all together, a bad combination. The offense was in shambles. You don't know what's going to happen moving forward, but they have to figure out a way to turn it around because, look, ultimately that game, it, it counts as one loss. And just like all the wins that were absolutely insane, they still count as a win. A win is a win is a win. And whether that's a crazy win against Duke where you blow a lead and have to come back, whether it's North Carolina where it's painful but you're able to pull it out in overtime, whether it's an ugly win like the Delaware game or even Ohio, whatever it is, a win is a win is a win. And a loss is a loss. And ultimately, I know fans are jumping off of Pittsburgh's many bridges, but ultimately this is one loss. And it's not killer. It was bound to happen at some point. Pitt had been playing with fire really for a little while. And now they did get burned against Miami. They lost that game. But they've been in a lot of close games that maybe they, I'm not going to say didn't deserve to win, but based on what they did, you almost expected them to not win. Certainly against North Carolina, you expected them to lose that game. And so when you play with fire for that long, eventually you're going to get burned. 
And that's sort of what happened in this game. Miami was close. This game was not close. This game was another team just flat out beat you and you could not get anything done. And you want to see maybe there's a little bit of beauty in rock bottom. Maybe they realize now that the offense needs serious work and they focus heavily on that and really try to turn it around the next game. But this this seemed to be coming. It didn't seem like Pitt was going to win out. When they went into those last four games after the Miami game, and it was Georgia Tech, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, Boston College, I think most people predicted two wins, three would be great. Well, you've got a chance to have three. You beat Georgia Tech, you beat North Carolina, you broke the curse. Yeah, you lost against Virginia Tech, but it's still a chance to get three wins out of those last four, which I think everyone at the time would have said, that's great. And Virginia Tech is a good team. They're a very legitimate team in the ACC, one of the better teams in the ACC. They were sloppy early, but they've turned it around, and it's not losing to Georgia Tech. It's not losing to Delaware or Ohio. It's a good team. You lost to them on the road, and again, just like a win is a win is a win, a loss is a loss. This is one loss. I don't think anyone expected Pitt to win the last four in a row. I don't think anyone expected Pitt to win nine games. So if you look at it that way, things are not so bad. They lost a game. They're now seven and four. It happens. But then this upcoming weekend, that becomes a monumental game. Because, yeah, if you lose one of the last four and you win the other three, that's fine. If the goal at the beginning of the year was seven wins, eight really is is seven wins is the baseline. Eight is the more idealistic goal. You can get there. And winning three of the last four, you can get there. And ending the season on a powerful note, at least ending the regular season on a powerful note, you can get there. You have all these opportunities in front of you. You have to be Boston College. And BC is going to have something to play for. They've got a bowl game to play for. They're five and six right now. Now, they could get in at 5-7 and seven because it looks like there are going to be more bowls than there are bowl-eligible teams, but they're still going to be playing hard for that sixth win. And we, we saw it for years under Paul Crist and, and before that with Todd Graham. Pitt would go into the last game of the season looking for a sixth win, needing a sixth win to extend their season, and they play hard, and they would, they would get it. And so Boston College is going to play hard. So it's not going to be an easy game. BC is played in some tough games. They're a decent team. They obliterated Syracuse on the road, a game that Pitt struggled in. Uh, They beat NC State. They had a very close loss on the road to Louisville, a very close loss to Wake Forest, two really good ACC teams. Boston College is a good team this year, and this is not going to be a cakewalk for Pitt. This is going to be difficult, but it is a huge game because they lost that Virginia Tech game. If you win this game against Boston College, you've still got an eight-win season. You've won three of your last four. You've got high spirits going into a month off before a bowl game, whatever it is. Everything sort of settles down. But if you go into the end of the season, you lose back-to-back, the offense looks bad, which, assuming Pitt loses to Boston College, it's not going to be the defense's fault. It would be the offense. You would have lost two... Not, not just back-to-back, but two of the last four. Seven wins, which isn't a fireable offense. It's not awful. But based on where you were a couple weeks ago, based on where you were before the Miami game where you had a chance to win the Coastal, yeah, that's that's pretty bad. Seven wins based on where they were midseason is pretty bad. It's not 
awful, but it's pretty bad. You you really got to get to eight wins at this point because of the loss, because of how you lost to Virginia Tech. Eight wins, that's the goal, but you could still do it. This Virginia Tech game was horrible. It was ugly. It was atrocious, and no one wants to think about it again. But you have a chance to right the ship. This Saturday, it's a home game against Boston College. If you win, then people can look over that Virginia Tech game. It was tough. It was on the road. It was an anomaly. You still got to eight wins. It, a loss is bound to happen. You can't expect too much. That's fine. But you to do to do that, to get people to that level, you have to win this weekend. You have to be Boston College. You have to get to eight wins. Then people can overlook Virginia Tech. But you've got to get to eight wins first. You cannot finish the season at 7-5, and five, losing the last two games. You can't do it. This game against Boston College is huge. If you're in the Pittsburgh area, highly recommend going. I'm sure it'll be a little bit chilly. But at least it's not on Black Friday. and uh, Or, or not somehow on uh, uh, at noon on Black Friday. That's been the case. There have been some evening games on Black Friday, but there have also been some noon kickoffs on Black Friday, which is a nightmare. It's on Saturday. All your shopping will be done. If you can make it to the game, uh, the Panthers are going to need you out there because this game is huge. They've got to win it, and it's really going to determine a lot of things when it comes to this season, how things are judged, and then moving forward to next season and the broader spectrum of, of Pat Narduzzi's tenure. So this game, it's really going to matter. And, uh, yeah, we'll be talking about it next week. We'll have a lot to talk about. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break here, and then we'll be back to talk about pit hoops and, uh, of course, my rankings around college football. Stay with us. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, we are back. So I've been doing this lately, my top 10 in college football, my rankings, my personal rankings. First, number one, got to be LSU, no question about it. Number two, I had them at number two last week, Clemson. I know the polls have Ohio State at two. Ohio State did not impress me that much against Penn State. Pitt played about as well against Penn, not quite, but Pitt played almost as well as Ohio State against Penn State, uh, and that game was at Ohio State. The Pitt game was at Penn State. So I've got Clemson at number two. Then I've got Ohio State number three. And then, uh, you know, you've got a pretty clear number three with those three undefeated Power 5 teams. Then I've got Georgia number four and Alabama number five. I think those are the five teams that have that will have a legitimate case, in my eyes, to get into the college football playoff. And to me, ideally, especially now that Alabama doesn't have Tua, I just want to see the, my, my current top four. LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia. I want to see, I guess for that to happen, Georgia would probably beat LSU in the SEC championship game, things would get a little bit weird, but I would have that. Hell, even if Georgia loses to LSU, but they at least put up a good game and it's a good fight, I would still have them in over Alabama because I wouldn't want to penalize a team for making the SEC championship game and losing to the number one team in the country. Whereas Alabama in that scenario would get in just by sitting home. I, I don't like the idea of that. So I'm going to go... I'm going to say it's those five teams. If Georgia slips up, 
then yeah, Alabama probably takes over. But right now I've got LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Bama. And then after that, I don't think anyone's got a case. But I'll go number six, Florida, and number seven, Auburn. They're both, to me, criminally underranked for the teams they've beaten and the teams that they've lost to. For Florida, their losses are against the best teams in the country. I don't know how you can penalize them uh, for that. Right now, their only losses were uh, at LSU and versus Georgia. And those are almost impossible games to win. Those are, again, in my opinion, two of the best four teams in the country. And outside of that, they've been great. They beat Miami. They beat Auburn. Uh, I, I would absolutely put Florida in that sixth spot. And then I would put Auburn at seven. And uh, they were behind. They were way behind Oregon. Now Oregon's going to fall because they lost. But to me, Auburn beat Oregon, and their only losses again are against great teams. I don't know how Oregon was ever ahead of Auburn. I never had uh, the Ducks ahead, and we saw them lose. So that should figure that uh, that should figure itself out. Number eight, I'm going to go Utah. They haven't looked that impressive, but uh, you know when, when you've got that record in uh, in the Pac-12, that's where you're going to be. I think they'll be ranked higher. I think they'll be six, but, uh, you know, they haven't really beaten anybody. Their biggest win was against Arizona State. It just looks okay. Washington, they eat that a win. But, you know, beggars can't be choosers. I go Utah eight. I'll go Oklahoma nine, and I'll go Minnesota ten. Now, both of those teams, you can say they control their own destiny. I don't see an argument for either one. For Oklahoma, they just, based on the eye test, they haven't looked good. Their only quote-unquote big wins were against Texas, who lately realizing they don't actually look that good, and Baylor, a team that I've insisted is not that good all season long. Outside of that, they haven't beaten anybody. Um, they lost at Kansas State. I, for Oklahoma, to me, it's sort of like Clemson when you're in a relatively weak conference, at least without any other big major players. You, you sort of have to go undefeated. And so even if Oklahoma wins out, even if they go and they beat Baylor in the SEC championship game, that doesn't impress me. So I've got Oklahoma at nine. They could move up, but I do not see them moving up to number four. And same with Minnesota. Even if they beat Ohio State, I mean, maybe they would at least have two good wins against Penn State and Ohio State, but I, I still don't see it. So all this talk of Oklahoma, Baylor, maybe Utah, I don't see the argument for any of them. I, I just don't think that when you compare them against Georgia or Alabama, that they would deserve to be in ahead. Uh, even if they get that extra game in the championship, I, I just I don't see it. So that's my top 10. Uh, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Bama, Florida, Auburn, Utah, Oklahoma, and Minnesota. And then for my top five, the ACC, we always do a thing on Cardiac Hill. Anson does King of the Hill, top teams in the ACC. He ranks all of them. I'm only going to do top five. Number one, Clemson, obviously. Number two, Virginia. Number three, Virginia Tech. That's going to be a really good game coming up this weekend. The uh, the Commonwealth Cup. And to me, I've got Virginia slightly ahead, but that game will certainly determine it. Number four, I've got Louisville. They've looked good. And then Wake Forest, they've been a, a sneaky good team all season long. I've got them at number five. Pitt and Miami were in the rankings last week. Pitt looked good. Brutal against Virginia Tech, and Miami lost to FIU, which is just embarrassing. And so uh, there's no way that either one could be in the top five after that. Who knows? Maybe if uh, if Pitt beats uh, Boston College this upcoming weekend, maybe they slip back into the top five. But uh, after this weekend's performance, no way I could have Pitt or Miami in my ACC top five. 
So on to uh, basketball. Not going to talk too much. We'll talk more in the future about pit basketball. That'll be when uh, we really get more in depth once football season is over. So after in the next couple weeks, we'll be more uh, heavy focus on basketball. But this week, non-conference, two easy wins. Uh, the big thing to me that stands out, Justin Champagny, the freshman. I had Craig Meyer on uh, two weeks ago, the beat writer for Pitt Basketball for the Post-Gazette, and I asked him which of these freshmen or which of these new players is really going to break out. Ryan Murphy sort of already had. And he said, keep an eye on Justin Champetti. He's the one that they've got the highest expectation for. And he has stood out these last two games. In those two games, again, weak competition, but 15 points, 8 rebounds, average against those two teams. That's a big week when you're averaging 15 points and 8 rebounds in those two games. So Justin Champagny had a big week, a breakout week, and uh, we're going to be keeping an eye on him. But again, more basketball to come in a couple weeks. That'll be, it'll sort of coincide when the ACC starts getting going and uh, they're playing some of their bigger games. That'll be when we really focus more heavily on it. But they do have a big game. If you're listening to this, it'll be posted uh, on Monday. They do have a big game tonight against Kansas State. That'll be a tough one. If they get the win, it will say a lot. I'm not expecting it to happen. We'll see. Uh, but that'll certainly be an interesting game to keep an eye on. Pitt versus Kansas State tonight on uh, Monday night, that is. Uh, then volleyball. Again, recording this before there's any chance for the rankings to come out. But Pitt has been sitting at number two in the nation for much of this season. And number one, lost this week. That's right. So... Uh, there's a good chance that Pitt can move up in the rankings. Texas lost, and uh, it it would be pretty amazing to see Pitt move up to number one in the nation. It, it's tough to even fathom that, uh, but there's there's a real chance that that could happen. So keep an eye out for the rankings because I don't even have the stat, but the last time that Pitt was ranked number one in the nation in any sport, in anything, I don't know. So if that happens, that would be a huge deal. That would be a monumental deal. So keep an eye out for the rankings coming out. And then Pitt soccer. Pitt men's soccer had a big week. They did lose on Sunday in the second round of the NCAA tournament to Georgetown, one of the top-ranked teams in the nation. But this was one hell of a season for Pitt soccer. Jay Vitovich and company, they astounded us. They made it to the first NCAA tournament in Pitt men's soccer since 1965. Just making it to the tournament, first time since 1965. That is a massive achievement. And even more of an achievement is in their first game, that was this past week, they took on Lehigh. It was a home game for Pitt. They beat the Mountain Hawks, and Pitt soccer got its first ever win in the NCAA tournament. That is gigantic. It was a huge win. It was a huge season for Pitt soccer. Everything they were able to accomplish, taking down Virginia in Charlottesville, making it to the NCAA tournament, uh, being able to to take down Lehigh and get a win in the NCAA tournament for the first time in history. It's a huge accomplishment. This program is going to continue to grow. They are losing some uh, big-time players. Kiza, I know, is is going to be phenomenal, and we'll see where they go in the pros, whether it's MLS or USL Championship or overseas or whatever happens. Uh, this was one hell of a year for Pitt soccer, and their season's done now, but they accomplished more than any Pitt soccer team has been able to do in history. 
and it is it's it's really incredible and they they deserve our support so for that the season's over but Pitman soccer gets panther of the week for what they did this week making history and what they did all season long uh having this best season that they've ever had in the history of the program so Pitman soccer panther of the week jay vidovich has done an astounding job and uh you should already be looking forward to what happens next year moving forward because this program is now a legitimate program. Just like we saw volleyball a few years ago when they were really getting on the scene and looked like a legit contender, that's what pit soccer is and should be moving forward. So now it's a really exciting time. It was a great season, and you can only look forward to what's going to come in the next couple years. So uh, that is it for the podcast. Again, thank you for listening uh, yet another week. We are part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, so basically what that means is you can listen to us anywhere. Uh, we'd love it if you're able to subscribe to the podcast, uh, and of course, if wherever you're listening, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, whatever, if you can uh, rate and review the podcast, that would be much appreciated. But definitely subscribe, and it helps you because you get the uh, episodes delivered right to you when they are posted. So... Uh, you can do that. You can also keep an eye out for CardiacHill.com. All the episodes will be posted there. And, of course, you can check out all the great articles and content on the website. Until next week, huge pit football game this week. Until next week, I'm Corey Cohen, signing off from Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill Podcast.